saying to your kid, don't do drugs, don't come home pregnant. You might as well say do drugs and come home pregnant because the mind will only respond to the word that makes a picture. It's like saying, do not think of chocolate cake, especially chocolate cake with sprinkles on it, because that's what you think about now. So that's the problem with goals and visualization and affirmations. If you don't do it in a specific way, you get what you don't want instead of what you want. It's like saying, don't think of the pain when you go to the dentist. This is going to hurt. Well, if you think that, of course it hurts. But if you put your mind on something else, it doesn't hurt at all. Hello and welcome to the EverCoach podcast, the online destination for a coach that wants to create a positive impact in the world and make good money along the way. I'm your host, Ajit Nawalka, and every week I'll bring you the world's best thinkers, coaches, trainers, to share some of their best ideas to solve real client problems, live a prosperous life, and be an even better version of ourselves. And this week, my guest is the legendary hypnotherapist and coach Marissa Pierre. I am so excited that I get to bring this episode for you right now. You see, I met Marissa several years ago, and I've always been so impressed. She's been on our platform for several years as a teacher, and this was a conversation that I think brought it all together. This conversation was in context of a program that we run called Coaching Mastery, which is a monthly membership where we share the, one of the best advices, some of the best advices around business and being able to be a better coach. And I was so fortunate that Marissa said yes, because she's just a gem. She's developed programs like Rapid Transformation Therapy, Rapid Transformation Coaching Therapy, where she trains you on how to be able to create transformations for other people very, very quickly. And I've personally experienced it and have absolutely loved it ever since I first experienced it. So I was excited to have her come on board and share with you what you're going to hear very, very shortly. Here's what I want you to look out for. You see, you're going to get a lot of insight during this particular episode. And because it is not business focused, it's a little bit more transformation focused. I would invite you to re-listen to this episode as many times that you need to to be able to really grasp what she says. It's going to be a lot. Again, like I said, this particular conversation comes from Coaching Mastery. In Coaching Mastery, we go deep. We go deep with our uh, educators and trainers and coaches. These are people who have had tremendous amount of experience across the field of coaching. And so often my conversations with them go to places that otherwise usual podcast conversations won't go because we just go really, really deep in what's really creating impact, what's really creating change. So this is going to be a little bit more in-depth than what you may be used to in listening to any podcast whatsoever. So you may want to re-listen to it again and again. And that's absolutely okay because what you're about to listen is the summary of about 40 years of work around therapy and coaching. So it's going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. You're about to listen to a conversation where we will talk about what are the fundamental truths about the human mind? What are some of the things that we always fall back to as human beings? And once you understand that, you will understand how to really take those fundamental truths, the fundamental beliefs, the fundamental facts of life or our minds, our belief systems, and then build yourself up and coach yourself out of any situation, any challenge, any concern that you may be experiencing right now. When this episode releases, the world is going through a big shift. We are seeing a shift in our health. We are seeing a shift in economy. We are seeing a shift in political scenario. There's a big shift that is happening across all the areas of our lives. And often we may need to manage ourselves and coach ourselves out of situations and challenges and concerns that we are experiencing in life. So listen to this conversation very, very carefully. And if you can, if you have availability, make sure you have a pad or a pen because you may be taking some notes. Now, Marissa demonstrates this capability that you're going to see in this uh, interview, in this conversation, inside Coaching Mastery, which is available right now for a free trial. So you'll find on this podcast a link to go and sign up for Coaching Mastery's free trial. You don't have to. This conversation itself is amazing. But if you choose to, you'll find the link below. 
Now, here's something that I do want to tell you before we start the conversation, because some of you are coming here because you've heard that we are running a fantastic giveaway where we are giving away iPhones, we are giving away courses, we are giving away books, and you would like to win one of those. So here's what I want you to do. To enter the giveaway, firstly, all the terms and conditions are listed on evercoach.com slash giveaway. We'll also link it below in the show notes here, but it's at evercoach.com slash giveaway. You get a chance to win iPhones, courses, and books there. And there's multiple of those, so you still have a really good chance. But to increase your odds to win inside this giveaway, you have to do certain very simple actions. One of those actions is to subscribe to this podcast and submit a review and a rating to this podcast. You get multiple points to be able to do all of those wonderful things. So if you haven't done that yet, go ahead and do that. If you have done it, don't worry. You just have to take a screenshot of you doing it and your review and your rating and your subscription and send it over to an email address that you will find on evercoach.com slash giveaway. So if you want to enter the giveaway, if you're looking for a new iPhone, don't buy it just yet. You can win it from us. We are giving away three different iPhones. So that will be amazing to just send it over to you. So go ahead to evercoach.com slash giveaway after you've listened to this episode and look at all the details and what all you need to do to increase your odds in winning one of these wonderful prizes. Now, without further ado, get ready for an outstanding, amazing, and beautiful conversation with my dear friend, Marissa Pierre. Marissa, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I am so excited about the topic that we are talking about today. So in this program, what we do is we take coaches and we give them very required skills to be better in what they do. But like we already know, coaches need coaching too. Mm -hmm. And so today we thought it would be so exciting to have you, someone who has done such phenomenal work in the field of coaching and therapy at the same time, to show us how we could coach ourselves. How could we actually work on ourselves and be able to get ourselves out of those states of mind and situations and coach ourselves out of that into high performance. But before we get there, I know we wanted to discuss about the rules of the mind. Rules of the mind, yeah. Well, I, I have something I created called rules of your mind. And I started off with about seven and I think I got to about 18 in the end. But you don't need to know all of them. But, you know, you are correct if you're a coach or any kind of therapist, if you're in the business of helping people, I find that many, many people become a therapist, even a psychiatrist, because they have this belief, I'm going to give what I'm lacking. I don't. I need warmth or care or love and I haven't got it, so I will give it to everyone else. And many coaches lack balance because they give what, what they don't have and they're so busy fixing everyone else, but no one's fixing them. And it's a bit like a cup, you know. Every day your cup is full and you give a bit away here and a bit away there and a bit away there. And if you don't have someone come along filling your cup, you become empty, which is why all of the people helping professions have huge burnout. So it's important to be your own coach. But in order to be your own coach, you have to really understand what makes you tick, which is why I invented and created the rules of your mind. And the number one rule, which is probably one of the most important, is this. Every word you say and every thought you think is a blueprint that your mind must work to make real. So when you say things like, I don't want to draw attention to myself, or I don't want to mess that up, or I'll die if another relationship goes wrong, or um, this commute is killing me, this workload is driving me insane. What you're doing is actually commanding your mind, do anything and everything to make sure this doesn't happen again. And, and I see that a lot with people who say, you know, I really want to be a speaker, but every time I go to, on stage, I, I get really panicked and I dry up and I just can't do it. Or I really want to write a book and I've written it, but it's in a drawer. I can't send it out. Or when it comes to promoting myself, I just, I just go into fear. And it's always because of how you dialogue with yourself. Every word you say, every thought you think is a blueprint. When you say, I'd rather die than mess up, it would kill me if that went wrong. Um, I'm just stressed out of my mind now and it's, it's, I'm, it's, the stress is killing me or it's too much or I'm in overwhelm. What your mind hears is do anything and everything to stop that. And the fastest way your mind can stop that is to make you sick or to give you a, a reaction that stops you getting on stage or opening your mouth and... It's always childish, childhood things that affect us. And it's very important to remember that. What are you saying and thinking and what's the blueprint? 
When people say things, if it would, it would kill me if it went wrong. I'd die mm. if that went wrong. I'd rather die than speak in public. I could never do what you... If I wrote a book and it bummed, that would just destroy me. Of course it wouldn't. It doesn't destroy you. Rejection doesn't kill you. But if you keep saying that, your mind will then make you act in a way where you never go anywhere where you get rejected. Mm. That's probably the first rule of the mind. Another very important one, of course, is your mind learns by repetition. And another one that's really important, probably the most important for coaches like you and I, is that we are hardwired to move towards what's familiar while massively resisting what is unfamiliar. And not long ago, that's how we survived on the planet. We lived in walled cities. We stayed in somewhere that was safe. And, and going for something unfamiliar was life-threatening. I mean, you have a beautiful son and you'll find just as he gets to two, just at that age where he can open the fridge and help himself to stuff and wander out on the prairie and pick berries. They don't want anything unfamiliar. They go, I don't want that, it's got lumps in it. I don't want that yogurt, it's not pink. That's the wrong bowl, the wrong cup. They want the same story every night because familiar kept us safe. But what I find happens now is that people... You know, we just say, I want love, but they keep going back to the same type of person that hurts them. I want success. Somebody came to me and said, I, I want to be a really famous actor. I'm like, oh, great. What are you doing? He said, what do you mean? I said, have you got an agent? He went, oh, no, I couldn't get an agent. Why not? I couldn't cope with the rejection. I'm like, you can't be an actor. <laughs> if you can't cope with rejection. You've got to make that familiar until it stops hurting you. And... There are other rules of the mind. Every thought you think creates a physical reaction and indeed an emotional response. The mind can't tell the difference between real and imagined. If you imagine pain or imagine rejection, it feels like it's real. The mind is always switched on. The subconscious mind is never off and it records every single thing that you go through. And then it tries to make sure you don't go through the pain, but keep going back to what you know. So mm. there are many others, but they're probably mm. the most important. Oh, here's a great one. The mind can't future pace. Uh, when I work with small children and they're being bullied at school, they can't even imagine that ending because the mind can't future pace. I work with people with mm. chronic depression. They just can't imagine it ending. When I work with people who are suicidal, I always say the same thing. I just, it's going to be like this forever. What's the point? I'm in so much mental pain, which is worse than the worst physical pain, and it's never going to get better. So we will say, next year, I'm going to be thin. Next year, I'm going to be a success. Next year, I'll get my business together, crowdfund, and I'll mm. make it. You mm. might as well say, next year, I'll be on the moon, because your mind doesn't know what next year is. You have to be today, here, right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe the last rule of the mind to share, because there are so many, is that the mind loves words that make a picture, powerful, dynamic, descriptive words. And if you use words that are dynamic, relevant, descriptive, and up to date, you'll get what you want. Mm -hmm. But if you say, you know, and it responds to words like that, that would destroy me, that would end my life. I, I had an American PA for one, she'd say things like, oh my God, this great guy asked me, I wanted to die. When I got the job, he wanted to die. And I'm like, but you didn't want to die. Don't keep saying you want to die because all people say that that makes me sick. I'll get sick. If I go out in the winter with wet hair, I'm going to get sick. If I eat mm. that, I get sick or I get fat. Or, and, and, you know, we say those things without understanding that they're so descriptive and so powerful that they... Give the mind an absolute detail what it's going to do. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I like this is so beautiful, but I would love to dive deeper into a few of these. So, for example, one of the examples that you gave was the mind wants to go to the familiar, yeah. and not the unfamiliar. Mm. And you gave a wonderful example while you were suggesting that about the actor who was mm. scared of rejection. How does that show up in a coach's life? Well, let's imagine you're a coach and you've come from a working class family, never really had success and seen your parents go, well, we can't afford that or people like us never have that. I've seen it with lottery winners. Amazingly, if money is not familiar, you'll get rid of it 
70% of lottery winners who haven't had money will be bankrupt in three years. I worked with two rock stars who were making at least, at least $8 million a year. And they both were completely broke when they occurred. How could you be broke? But you see, because they came from a very poor background, what was familiar to them was watching mom or dad get a paycheck on Friday. It was all gone by the following Thursday. There was no investing, no saving, no nothing like that. It was just you pay for everything and then it's all gone. When people like that get money, they do it. They pay for everything. They buy crazy stuff that they don't want. They have investing is unfamiliar, just buying stuff. And so it's very hard for them to understand that. So you will always return to what's familiar. So it comes up with money. It certainly comes up with love. People say, but how could anyone reject love? But if you haven't had love, if you go to an orphanage, with babies who have not been held and pick them up, they don't snuggle into you, they become rigid. It's like trying to pick up a feral cat, a cat who has never been handled, doesn't lie in your lap and purr, it wriggles and scratches and runs away. And so if love is not familiar, and if you're coaching people who want love, and it's not familiar, they will actually reject it. They go back to what they know. I've worked with, I worked with a guy, for instance, so interesting, who said that, when he was a kid, he was talking to his mother and she said, darling, please remember something. You might be six. I'm not. I find you terribly boring. I'm so intelligent. I really shouldn't have had children. Um, you bore me. And he never forgot that as if you ever would. But guess what kind of women he went out with? Deeply intellectual. Because another thing about the mind, which is fascinating, is we are wired to create what we know and to change the ending. My mum thought I was boring. Why don't I find a really smart woman and make her think I'm the most fascinating guy on the planet? My dad said I was stupid and worthless. Why don't I find a guy like that and make him besotted with me? But life's too short to change the ending. You need to change the beginning. And a great coach can say, look, do you know what you're doing? You're recreating what is familiar, trying to put a happy ending on it. Let's go to what is unfamiliar. Let's start from there. It is a rule of your mind that we are hardwired to recreate what is familiar while resisting what's unfamiliar. But here's another rule of the mind. You can make anything you like familiar. If you've never put lenses in your eye and you do that, you don't go, oh, this is familiar. I got it in wands, perfect. When I had a Blackberry, I was clearing up my house recently, I found my Blackberry, I looked at it and thought, you know what, I wouldn't actually know what to do with this now. Because what I did was I made the iPhone familiar. I've totally forgotten the workings of the Blackberry. I'm sure if I got it working again, I'd get used to it. But you can make anything you like familiar. And if you want to coach yourself or indeed be an amazing coach, you must teach your clients to make praise familiar, self-belief familiar, mm -hmm. pushing yourself familiar while making all the old stuff, self-sabotage, um, unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. and, and I find many clients, especially men, who aren't used to praise. When you say, to, I said to someone recently, you know, I loved that book you wrote. They went, oh no, it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I did that. It wasn't good enough. I, I worked with an Oscar-winning actor and director, actually. And when, mm -hmm. when, he, when I first met him, I said, you know, I loved that particular movie. He went, oh, it was terrible. Didn't you notice the leading lady was cast wrong? I'm like, no, I loved it. He went, oh, no, it was terrible. So we got an Oscar. He went, I think they didn't have many good nominations that year. Oh, what about the next? I said, well, they didn't have any good nominations that year. I went, oh, you're somebody who can't receive praise. Tell me mm -hmm. about your early life. He said, well, my parents never praised me, never. Mm -hmm. And at the end of my dad's life, I said to him, dad, are you proud of me? And he went, for what? Poncing <laughs> around making movies, that's not work. <laughs> And that oh, wow. was so familiar to him that he now did it to himself. Yeah. And if someone has never been praised, you even say, I love that shirt. They go, oh, it's 10 years old. I got it in a charity shop. Mm -hmm. Not only do they reject praise, they must add in what's familiar criticism. Mm -hmm. And it, you'll change your life and anyone else's too if you can get them to praise themselves a lot mm -hmm. and criticize themselves very little.
That's beautiful. I want to revisit that conversation because I think that's really helpful in the self-coaching arena, like you already touched yeah. upon it. I love to kind of have like somewhat of a case study type of situation there yeah. to see what that goes. Uh, but I also loved in one of the rules of the mind that you mentioned was we can't future pace. Can't future pace. We, what I've seen often though is we do do visualizations and yeah. so forth. Talk to us a little bit about this rule of the mind. Well, because there might be a myth here that we might be you, operating. You can from. visualize, yeah. but you see, when you visualize, other people like they they say, "I can't ever see myself making it." I just can't see myself not eating pizza. Maybe you're coaching. I just can't see myself being a success. I want to be successful. I coach many traders who are either very reckless at trading or too cautious. And they'll say that I just can't see myself taking those big risks. I'm too scared to do that. So in that instance, you could actually coach someone to see. I coached football teams. In fact, I coached a football team in the UK who'd never won anything in their life. And they went right into the Premier League and they stayed there for a long time. And actually with them, I had them all imagine themselves on the pitch like Vikings who were relentless, like hunting dogs who moved as a pack. But it was in that moment you're on the pitch. I want you to hear the crowd screaming your name. I want you to feel that ball glued to your foot. I want you to see it go into the back of the net. So that's okay. But if you're saying in five years' time, I want you to see yourself at the top of the Championship League holding that cup, the mind can't future pace. So you could do it immediately. You could mm -hmm. work with an Olympic athlete. I worked with an Olympic swimmer. And it was all about winning a gold medal, but it had to be now. Mm -hmm. And if you're coaching people in a success coaching, you can say, see yourself on stage giving a presentation, your voice is clear, you're making eye contact, you know what to say, but it has to be now. And use all the senses, what does it look like, feel like, sound like. But when you're trying to say in five years or in two years, it has to be now. So visualization works if it is now. Mm -hmm. And you'll find many people who say things like, yeah, next year I'll be rich. Next year, I'll be a millionaire. Next year, I'll wear a bikini, even though I'm very heavy. Next year, I'll mm. sort it out. Mm. That doesn't work. But if you do it mm. right now, and when you're visualizing, you must say, now, mm -hmm. I'm super effective now. I'm mm. phenomenally successful now. And the mind doesn't mm. go, what are you talking about? You're not successful at all. Mm -hmm. It lets it in much more than I'm successful next year. Beautiful. I'm, I'm more curious about it in context of goals now. So mm. we're all taught we should set goals and we should mm -hmm. set long-term goals mm. and short-term goals and all those different levels yeah. of goals. Are we suggesting not to have goals or are we suggesting have goals but visualize them for now? Well, that's a great question because we will say, my goal is to have more money. Well, here's $5. <laughs> that's not the right goal. Now, many years ago when I lived in London, one of my... Um, clients, there, she lived in Notting Hill, there's a lot of rock stars, there was a rock star in her street and she wanted him and she said, you know, I used to want him and I would visualize this night of passion with this rock star, which wasn't that unrealistic because he lived in her street and lo and behold, he turned up, he got locked out, she let him in, they had the night of passion, never heard from him again. And I said, why didn't you visualize a relationship, a whole life with him. If you get him in your apartment and in your bed, that's pretty impressive. But why think so small? People say, um, I visualize parking spots and it works. I, I didn't want to go somewhere. And amazingly, the person rang up and canceled, but they have very small visualizations. And so you need big visualizations, big goals. But it's not enough to have a goal. I will write a best-selling book, that's a goal. I will have a phenomenal coaching business, that's a goal. I'll have a business with 10 coaches under me, that's a goal. But you have to have 10 steps. Like, what are you going to do to reach mm. that goal? Because any goal of significance will require you to do more. What are you going to learn? And you need to really have steps. What are you going to do? What are you going to learn? What are you going to put into practice? And you need to Focus on that goal every day. Look at that goal. You know, I am um, many years ago was going to write a book 
and I decided to put on an event and I would invite people to this event and that was going to work. And I didn't actually sell many tickets, but just before the event was happening, I'd met a literary agent and she called me and said, I'm sending a Harper Collins and Penguin to your event. I sort of canceled it, she put it back on. Mm -hmm. So I put it back on and I rang around everyone who'd inquired and gave them free tickets. And that night I could have planned the talk, but instead I, I made a vision board and I wrote out all these things. Marissa Peer writes a best-selling book and I stuck all these pictures and I kept looking at it and looking at it and looking at it because I was forcing my mind to make it real. It wasn't a vision board. I was just, it wasn't silly visions. It was, you know, real visions writing a best-selling book. And I kept imagining as I did that vision board that HarperCollins and Penguin would come up and go, oh my God, we love you. And actually the next day when I finished the talk, they're in the queue and, and right in front was Google who said, oh my God, we love that talk. Can you come and give that talk for Google? And then I think it was um, Hache who said, we want to sign you up and we'll pretty much give you a blank check if you don't go to any of these other people that also want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So I was visioning, but it was very specific. So when you have goals, they must be specific. They must make sense. Like you say, my goal is to be a brain surgeon when you're 52. My goal is to be a ballerina. You know, some goals are just so abstract. They, they can't possibly work. And mm -hmm. I find that's the problem with both goals and affirmations. They're abstract. Mm -hmm. The mind locks onto something real that it can make sense of. Mm -hmm. So when you go, you know, I, when people go to a coach and what do you want? I, I want to resonate with the frequency of the planet. I mean, I don't even know what that means. I want to <laughs> go through life at my highest integrity. If I can't understand it, your mind definitely can't understand it. You know, speak in plain English. Be very clear on what you want and then you'll get it. But most people are clear on what they don't. I don't want that to happen. I don't want it to go wrong. I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want this to go wrong. And you might as well say to the mind, I want it to go wrong, because here's another rule of the mind. Mm. It doesn't understand. Don't not. Like you might say to your little boy, don't touch that. But what they hear is touch that. Mm. Saying to your kid, don't do drugs. Don't come home pregnant. You might as well say, do drugs and come home pregnant. Because mm -hmm. the mind will only respond to the word that makes a picture. It's like saying, do not think of chocolate cake, mm -hmm. especially chocolate cake with sprinkles on it, because that's what you think about now. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem with goals and visualization and affirmations. If you don't do it in a specific way, you'll get what you don't want mm -hmm. instead of what you want. It's like saying, don't think of the pain when you go to the dentist. Mm -hmm. This is going to hurt. Well, if you think that, of course it hurts. But if you put your mind on something else, it doesn't hurt at all. True, true. Let's go to the conversation of coaching yourself. And these rules of mind, and I know we can just talk about that for an sure. hour. I'm so curious. I <clears throat> want to talk about that. But I think we also want to take over the mm. conversation of coaching yourself. Now that we understand some of the rules of the mind, mm -hmm. how would somebody coach themselves just as a process? From well... I find one of the most effective is, I mean, I have my own company called RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapists, and we are teaching people all over the world to be the most outstanding therapists and to get outstanding results. People will say, how come the people you train get such great results? It's because one of the things we teach is there's only three things wrong with everyone. There's only three things wrong with every client you see, mm -hmm. and there's only three things wrong with you. And when you're coaching yourself, if you look at the three things that could be wrong with you and fix those, you don't need to fix anything else. So when clients turn up for coaching, they often have a shopping list of what they want. And if you look at the list carefully, you'll begin to see, oh, it's what I call what lies beneath. What is really going on when someone comes in and says, I always sabotage, I always procrastinate. I'm scared of failure. They're often scared of success when someone comes in and says, you know, I know I should be working on my business plan, but I'm lying on the sofa eating potato chips and drinking beer. That's not what you work on. You work on what lies beneath. And what lies beneath is only ever going to be three things. The big one is, of course, 
I'm not enough, which is why I founded the I'm not enough movement. When people have addictions or issues or they hold themselves back or they sabotage themselves, it's always because they have this belief of I'm not enough. If I'm not enough, I'm not worth it. Mm -hmm. And if you fix that, you will fix everything. But the second one, which is very interesting, is I want something, but it's not available. I want success. But I never went to university. My parents didn't have a book in the house. I didn't go to college. And of course, nowadays, that that is, is irrelevant. So many people who didn't go to college, didn't have a degree, and didn't come from money have done so well. In health coaching, and people say, you know, I, I just want to be well, but I, I've got the depressed gene. I've got the alcoholic gene. There is actually no such thing as the depressed gene. You learn what you live. If you see your mom going, I've got the depression, then it's the same thing as seeing your mom going, I've got terrible cramps, it's my time of month. You, you learn what you live, you become that expectation. And many clients who come to you for coaching, many coaches do, want something with a belief. I want it, I'll never get it. I want to be the best coach in the world, it's, but it's not really available. I want to coach multimillionaires and the Elon Musk of the world, but why would they ever come to me? And a lot of coaches have imposter syndrome because they think, you know, I, I'm a health coach, but if you saw me at home, I eat pizza and donuts because I'm so stressed. I'm a wealth coach, but I don't actually have any money. I'm a love coach, but I don't even have a relationship. And so they can teach other people to get this stuff. In fact, I met somebody recently who said, you know, I can help everybody make so much money. I've just had my house repossessed. And what was so interesting is that um, his father died and his brother was disabled in the army. And he had an interesting belief. I shouldn't have success because they didn't have it. My dad died. My brother was disabled in the war, in the recent Iraq war. And therefore, it's not right for me to have success. When in fact, the truth is you should have more success. You've got to live the life they couldn't live. They would want that for you. But he was so uncomfortable about having a life that his, his disabled brother would never have that he he actually sabotaged himself because of that same belief, it's not available. And the mm. truth is everything is available to you, health, wealth, success, love, joy, it's all available. But if you believe it isn't, there's that blueprint. When you think those thoughts, your mind must act on the thoughts you think and make them real. And so you have to look at why do I believe that? Who told me that? Almost always a parent, don't draw attention to yourself. I want, doesn't get. You know, we hear this crazy stuff. It's all downhill. Your school days are the best days of your life and then it's all downhill, which is actually so ridiculous. Why would nature say, here's your life, it's amazing, but after you leave school, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Why not believe it gets better and better and better? You know, we're told this crazy stuff and and it allows us to believe other people can have it, but not me because your parents are. That's not for the likes of us. And the third um, thing wrong with you, which is so interesting, is this belief that I'm different. I'm different, and if I'm different, I can't really connect. I can't connect with you because I'm not like you. And actually, our greatest fear is to be different. Our greatest fear is, of course, not making it and dying. But of course, the more you're the same, the more likely you are to connect. In tribal times, we connect. We looked the same, we did the same. We were in a tribe and safety was a numbers game. And as long as you were like everyone else, you were part of that tribe. But now we live in multicultural worlds and it's very easy to go, you know, I'm so different and I can't connect. But I say, well, you know what, that's everyone's fear. And honestly, if you think you're different, you know what that makes you? Makes you the same as everyone. And it makes everyone the same as you, because that's your greatest fear. And I work with so many troubled teens, and they say, you know, I'm, I'm different. I'm the only kid at school who's poor, or I'm the only kid that's rich. I got taken to school in a Rolls Royce, and all the kids teased me, or I'm the only tall one, the only short one, the only one with red hair and freckles. And I say, if you stopped 115-year-old or 14-year-olds or 20-year-olds and said, 
What's your greatest fear? They'd always say, they'd all say the same thing, being different, not being mm. the same. And then you go, well, if everyone's got that fear that you've got, it means you're the same. So stop telling yourself you're different. Tell yourself you're the same, talented, unique, but the same. Stop telling yourself it's not available and go, everything is available to me with bells on. Mm -hmm. Stop telling yourself that you're not enough and say, I am enough, because your mind doesn't stop to think about what you say. When you say, I'm not enough, it says, well, that's true. When you go, I'm enough, it says, well, that's true. When you say, I'm different, it looks for reasons to justify why you're different. When you say, I'm the same, it does exactly the same thing. You know, you make your beliefs, but then your beliefs make you. And then even more weird is that the world starts to honor whatever you believe. You know, if you believe that cats are vicious, scratchy things and are horrible, selfish creatures, they'll scratch you. If you believe, oh, they're the most lovely, cuddly, yummy things, then they'll lie on your lap and purr because your thoughts are an energy that radiate out from you and back to you. People, even animals that match your thinking. You know, mm. you think your thoughts out into the world, it kind of thinks them back. And mm. we know that, but we should know, well, why don't you just change your thoughts then? Mm. And that's part of being a great coach. Really look at your thoughts, challenge them, and then say, but why do I even believe that? Who told me that? What were they basing that on? You know, when I was growing up, here was a common thought. If you get a job, set for life. Get a steady job with a steady pay and then you'd be okay. But now we think, well, that no, I, I need my own business. You make more money working for yourself. I have a gift I can monetize. So the world is changing. Mm -hmm. But we have to change our thoughts. So that's the three things wrong. So to be your own coach... Ask yourself, which one is it? It could be all three. Mm. I mean, I know for myself, I grew up, my father was my headmaster, principal, if you like. Mm. And um, that was pretty horrible for me because I felt so different. Mm. You know, I went to school, I was 11. They had 18-year-old boys in my father's school and they didn't like my dad because he was a great teacher, but pretty strict. Mm -hmm. And they would come to me and say horrible things about my dad. And I'm 11. What's an 11-year-old going to say to an 18-year-old boy? I just stood there and said nothing, but I felt so different. It was the bane of my life. I definitely had that. I was different, I couldn't connect. I, I also had the not enoughness because my father being such a great teacher was all about all the other kids in his school and all his time went to them. And he would spend all his weekends and evenings doing all his paperwork because he was so devoted to raising great kids in his school. But then I always felt that they were more important to him than me. So I definitely had the not enoughness. I don't think I had not available to me. I might have done. Mm -hmm. But I certainly had one and three. But I don't have them anymore. Mm -hmm. So you've got to look at these beliefs and challenge them. Because when you challenge a belief, mm -hmm. you no longer believe it. Mm. I, I want to present a case and I'm putting myself on the spot because I see exactly what you say. So let me use the, the three situations that you suggested is always the case on this particular situation that I have right now and see if I can, I can really follow the process mm. that you explained. And if not, what could be certain things that could stop me in really being able to self-identify yeah. and self-coach. So currently my challenge is that I really want to get fitter in mm -hmm. the best shape of my life. I'm fitter than I was before, but I'm still trying to run a Spartan race every quarter. So every three months I want to run a Spartan race, but uh, which is like an obstacle course mm -hmm. race that you can run. Uh, so I ran my first one and it just happens to be that every couple of weeks I kind of fall off the wagon mm -hmm. and I constantly try to get back on the wagon, but it takes me a week, two weeks, mm -hmm. sometimes a month to get back on the wagon. And then again, fall up after four or five, six weeks. It's kind of like it's it's one of those things I start and then I stop and mm -hmm. I start and I stop. And I really want to make it more so of a, of a habit. And so I don't know why mm -hmm. I keep I almost sabotaging myself or yeah. not almost like it is what I'm doing. I'm mm -hmm. sabotaging myself every four or five weeks and I have to get back on it, which means I, instead of running three races mm -hmm. this year, which was what I wanted to do, I've only ran one as mm -hmm. of now. Um, and I would love to run more, at least before the year ends. Uh, 
Uh, so anyway, so let's see the three categories that you said. So you said category one was where you, you feel not you're enough. not enough. Yeah. I don't know if it's about me not being enough. Let's see the other two and see. The second one was? It's not available to it's me. It's not available to me. And the third one was? I'm different, so I'm I can't different. connect. Again, I, and I'm going to process it verbally mm -hmm. and tell me if I'm going in the mm -hmm. right direction. I feel like it could be that I feel it's not available to me. Yeah, I, I feel that, absolutely. Because yes. I come from a background, sure. of Indian background, yeah. where I basically never worked out in my life. Yeah. Uh, and this only now I'm trying to get back on this wagon. Okay, so that was a good identification yeah. you're saying. Yeah, right. it could be this. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So, okay, now I know that it is not available to me. You have a belief uh, that it's not available. I, I believe that it's not available yeah. to so me. So now let's look at where does that belief come from. Okay. Go back to your Indian background where you never saw people working out and you didn't read yeah. health and fitness magazines. But yeah. what was the attitude of people who might have worked out? What, how did other people view those people? Well, I will tell you what happened when I was a kid is that when you were slightly chubby, mm -hmm. you were called you were healthy. Yeah. So in Indian culture, at least at the time, mm -hmm. if you were chubbier, mm -hmm. which was you were slightly overweight, yeah. not super overweight, slightly overweight, they would say, oh, he's a healthy kid. Yeah. Instead of when you were fit, actually. Mm. If you could, it didn't matter if you could run or anything like yeah. that. It mattered, it mattered you're a little chubby, it means it's a sign of wealth. Yeah. Well, it was a sign of wealth. Yeah. It was a sign of health, apparently. Mm -hmm. So I never actually, I am trying to think, did I even know one person? in my entire childhood that worked out. I know not even one person mm -hmm. that I can think of who worked out. Mm. I only know people that would walk and count that as mm -hmm. yeah. workout. Oh, I walk every day. Yeah. But yeah, I, I have no childhood mm. examples of workout. Yeah. And really another person yeah. might say, but it wouldn't be you. Well, you know, my dad did go to but my mom always said he was very selfish. What is that selfish? You haven't got time to go to the gym. You've got these kids that need you, I need you. It's a selfish mm. hobby. Mm. So you may have that. You didn't. But what you certainly had was this concept that working out and being fit was unfamiliar and even undesirable. Mm. You know, if you don't see it, it's, it's completely alien to you. And the mind doesn't want alien, it wants familiar. So that the first thing always is to identify, right, that's just unfamiliar. But you know, so what? It is a rule of the mind that we like what's familiar and we don't like what's unfamiliar. But here's another rule. You can make anything you like familiar. You know, for years and years of my life, I got on a plane and I turned right. For years and years, I went on the train in normal economy and I didn't know any better. I didn't think anything of it. But as I became successful, my clients would always send me first-class plane tickets, first-class rail tickets. And of course, once turning left becomes familiar, you think, oh no, now I can't go back to the other way because it's become familiar. It's like when I very first spoke on stage, I always remember years and years ago being asked to go to UCLA and address doctors at a medical convention. And I flew in, I didn't, I had to fly in the day that I was giving that talk, so I was kind of tired. And I had to ask for a podium. I had to hold on to that for dear life. My legs were shaking. I couldn't move around the audience and talk with this long mic because I thought, God, I might fall over. I just held on to that podium. Nobody could see my legs shaking, which is why I asked for it. And I just spoke to them. And then as I spoke more and more and more, it became so familiar that I could do it standing on my head. I could walk on stage and I could talk and I could walk around. And I was giving a talk recently and my heels kept going through the floor of the stage. And I was saying, oh, I'm really not liking this. But I laughed about it mm -hmm. because when you do something enough, it's familiar. So you're absolutely correct. You look at why is this unfamiliar? Because unfamiliar link is, goes hand in hand with not available. Then you go, well, well how can I make it familiar? Mm. I keep stopping and starting. But the thing is to just keep going. And one of the best things you can say when you're coaching myself is this. I am making this familiar. I am making this familiar. I will 
make this familiar. I'll give you an example. I worked with a girl who came from a really horrible background. The father was an alcoholic. He diminished her and her mother, treated them like they were nothing. And of course, guess what kind of guy she went for? Because the mind, she goes, you know, I went out and I met someone and we just clicked. I just, I felt like I'd known him all my life. That's because he's your dad. So now she's dating men just like her dad who diminish her, belittle her, and she keeps coming back for more. So I coached her and off she went, full of a different belief. And she came out and said, well, it was extraordinary. You know, I went to the same place I always go, but I've had a different guy. He was all over me. He was so nice to me. Made a date. He picked me up. He took me out. He paid the bill. He sent me a text saying how lovely it was. Could he see me again? I went and she goes, I'm never seeing him again. I'm like, why not? She went, he was too good for me. I'm like, you know what you just said? You said his behavior was so unfamiliar. I want to run back to the guys with damage tattooed on their forehead, but you are going to date that guy. And every time you're going to say, I'm making this familiar. I'm making this familiar. I'm making this familiar. She married him within a year and they're still very happy, but even though it worked, she had that need to run back to what was familiar. And you have to keep saying, I will make this familiar. Like if you get out of bed and go to the gym once, you don't love it. You go, oh, it hurts and my muscles hurt. And I worked with somebody who was so obese. In fact, he weighed 800 pounds and he couldn't even work out because, you know, taking an 800 pound frame around the gym is really hard and he was pretty famous so he didn't want to be seen to do that and I had to coach him to get up at five o'clock in the morning in the pitch black and just walk around Beverly Hills and he didn't wake up and go yay it's 5 a.m. I'm gonna haul my 800 pound frame around Beverly Hills now in the dark so no one sees me he said Marissa told me I must make this familiar I must I will, I am, I'm making it. And he got out of bed and he did the walk. He didn't love it. He didn't wake up and there was anything. Oh, I fixed it now. He had to do it again. Now my calves hurt and my butt hurts, but I'm making it familiar. I'm doing it again and again and again. And of course, what happened is he started to really like it. Mm. And with exercising, the problem is the minute you stop, I have a three-week break over Christmas, a five-week break. When you stop, it's very hard to start again. So you've got to make it not what you do, but who you are. An Olympic athlete doesn't wake up and go, I'm going to scrape the ice off, the snow off my car now and go for a run in the snow. They go, I'm, I'm winning a medal. This is important to me. And they train all the time. And so when you want something, you've got to keep saying, I'm making it familiar. And then you lie to yourself, as I call lie cheat and steal when you're running in the rain you don't go oh it's raining I could be at home watching Netflix you say I love it I love it love it love it love it love it my body loves it my muscles love it you don't have to love it by the way when you're doing the 400 sit-up or the plank and you're tired you just keep saying my body loves this it adores it it thrills it because then you bypass the part that goes, I don't really like this. It's so unfamiliar. I could be lying on the sofa now watching a movie. So mm. not only do you have to make yourself do it, you have to make yourself like it. And how you make yourself like it is what I call lie, cheat, and still lie to your mind, cheat fear and resistance, and steal back the ability to love working out. Because no kid goes, I don't really like running and jumping. I don't like playing. I mean, if you spent one day doing what Ari does, you'd be exhausted <laughs> because they run and move and tumble and they're full of energy. They don't go, I just want to sit in my high chair all day. They, they are so active. And so the belief that it's unfamiliar is actually not strictly true. Mm -hmm. And you're going to reactivate, remanifest and regenerate what you were naturally born with, which is loving to move. But we've just mm. forgotten how much we like it. And, and one of the things I do in RTT a lot is to tell people, because I make them a recording, we are reactivating, remanifesting, regenerating the confidence you were born with, the love of life you were born with, the drive to succeed that you were born with. So how you coach yourself to the gym is 
realize why you don't do it. Remember, you once upon a time loved movement more than anything in the world and keep telling yourself you love it and then it will stop being what you do and it will become who you are because most people don't love the gym but then after all they think, no, I really like it now. Mm. I love the line where you said, it's not what you do, it's who you are. Yeah, first of all, it is what you do but then it becomes who you are. Like, you know, I meet people I was at school with, they go, my God, you're so different. Because I was the most insecure, self-conscious teenager. That was hideous. I thought I was stupid. If someone looked at me, I looked at the floor. And if a guy came up to talk to me, I couldn't even look them in the eye. And and now I, it's so weird because that's what, I remember that girl and I know that was me, but that almost feels like a stranger to me now. And people say, but what did you do to change? It's like, you know, it's so bizarre because it's so much who I am now. There isn't what I do, but it starts off being what you do. You force yourself to do things, speak to someone, ask for something. Um, You force yourself to write a book, to go on stage. And if you're going on stage to give a speech, you go, I'm terrified, I'm terrified, I'm a nervous wreck. No, you go, I love this. It thrills me, it elates me, it sets me on fire. Because the mind doesn't go, what are you talking about? You're not excited at all because it can't even tell the difference between nervous and excited. Mm. And so you always have a choice when you have a brilliant brain, which we all have. Here's a choice. Rationalize why you feel so bad or talk yourself out of it. Say, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm elated. And the mind goes, yep, you're right. Or say, I'm falling apart. I'm going to mess this up. This is torture. And the mind goes, yep, you're right. Mm. So anything that you tell your mind, it just goes, yep, you're right. Your mind has no capacity to reason with you. And, you know, that's the problem with people who tell themselves, I'm a loser, I can't do confrontation. I, I don't know what full is. How do you leave food? I've never known that to be true. Of course you have. No baby binges on food. If you try to make them eat too much, they vomit. I don't know how to relax. That's alien to me. And we were always prefix. I've never been able to do that. I've never been good at that. I've always been bad at that. I've always been like this. And, and that's never true. And a great coach will challenge them, really? Always, always been unable to speak to people. Never been able to be looked at. No, never. Well, how about when you were born? Didn't people come into the ward and look in the crib and tickle your little tummy and look at your little toes and no baby says, don't look at me. I'm having a really bad day. I've got these triple knees and I've just filled my diaper and I've got milk spots and I don't want to be looked at. Mm. Because it isn't true. We love attention when we're born and we have this belief, I'm worth everything. I can have everything I want because when you're in the womb, It's like being in Hawaii, it's always 75 degrees, with 24-hour room service, it's free, and you're always connected to another person. So we all start off with this great belief, I can have whatever I want, whenever I want it, all my needs are met, but that goes away very fast, and then people start to say, I- I've never been good at math, I, I-, I'm ne- I just can't talk to people, I've never been good at confrontation, I- I'm very bad at asking for money. I'm very bad at asking for what I want. No baby says, you know, I shouldn't ask for a tent in the middle of the night because my mum's exhausted or my dad works nights. They just think, oh, I want some attention now. I'll wake everybody up. And when you challenge people and stop allowing them to say, and like I never let people say, but. Well, I could go to the gym, but. I, I could eat differently, but. And people will come to me and say, you know, I, I hear you have great success with weight loss. I'd do anything to lose weight. I go, well, here's what you're going to do. And they go, I don't want to do that. Have you got anything else? I don't really want to go to the gym. And I don't want to stop eating pizza. What else could I do? Or then I had the butt. I could do that butt. It hurts. It's painful. It's difficult. But it really isn't. Thank you so much for that, Marissa. I think that case study also expands on how anybody can take those three main concepts and really distill and go, okay, how, how is it that you yeah. can coach yourself? Is there something that I should have asked that I didn't ask in context of 
coaching themselves or in context of the state well, of mind? Why is always a great question. Why am I not allowing myself to have the body I want? Why am I not allowing myself to run the race I want? Why am I doing this? I find after 33 years of experience that there's really only three things that are going to come up. So why do I have these chronic headaches? Why do I break out in hives every time? Why, whenever, every time I work out, do I come down with a flu until I think, oh, I just can't work out. It always makes me sick. So when you ask yourself a why, your mind will answer that question for you very well because it's set up to answer mm. why and indeed how questions. So first of all, why? Why am I doing Then how? Well, how could I do that? What, what would I do to make that work? And, and to understand that your mind's job is always to protect you sometimes to punish you and frequently to get you attention. And if you look at those three things, am I doing this to punish myself, to protect myself, or to get attention? Again, it's often going to be one of those things. It's slightly different with going to the gym, except that in your mind, I think you see going to the gym as a form of punishment, mm. which is why you keep stopping. Mm. And if you see it as a reward, you won't. It's like people who eat well don't go, Oh, you know, it's so unfair that I can't eat Krispy Kreme donuts. Life without pizza isn't worth living. Who could ever go through life without beer and potato chips? They say, you know, I love my body and I Nutribullet every day and I choose healthy food because I'm doing that for my body. They, they, they tell themselves the right things. Mm -hmm. You know, a vegetarian, for instance, doesn't go, well, it's not right, I can't eat meat, and they have a very different take on it. And so you, you just have to pick up the belief system that you want to pick up. You know, for instance, if I had a big juicy burger in my hand right now, you're not going to react to the burger, you're going to re react to what that means to you. If you were a vegetarian or a vegan, you go, that's disgusting, you're eating a sentient being, that was a person. If you wouldn't eat a cat or dog, why would you eat that? A bodybuilder might go, yeah, yum, you know, that protein is great for me. Uh, someone who is deeply religious, uh, an Indian, for instance, might say, you know, cows are sacred. So it's never the thing, it's what you feel about things. If I had a big hypodermic needle in my hand now, you react to what that means. If you're about to have Botox, you go, this is great, I'm gonna look 10 years younger in a minute. If you were taking steroids to, to bulk up, you go, this is great. I'm going to win a bodybuilding contest by taking that. If you're in immense pain, you'd be so excited about that needle. Mm -hmm. If you had terrible toothache, you'd welcome that needle. Or you could go, oh, that's really going to hurt. It's going to pierce my skin and it's going to hurt. And I have people who, you know, with decaying teeth can't go to the dentist because of the needle because they tell us it's going to really hurt. So, but but your toothache hurts. I know I'm in pain, but I can't go to the dentist and have more pain to get rid of the pain because we tell ourselves such crazy stuff. So the needle, the burger, how you react to it is what you believe about it, but you have to change those beliefs. And you can easily change beliefs about standing on stage, coaching anyone, being amazing. And one of the best things is to imagine the best coach that you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody like Tony Robbins. What would he tell himself? He would never go, I didn't have a university education. I didn't come from an upper-class family. I'm not equipped to coach. He would be excited. The best athlete would never say it hurts to train. They go, I'm, I'm a winner. It's wired into me. So as well as asking yourself, why am I not doing it? What could I do? To do it, how could I make myself do this? And the answer is tell yourself it's pleasurable. You know, a junkie doesn't go, wow, that needle's going to hurt. They go, wow, in a minute I'm going to be off my head. And it excites them to put a hypodermic needle into their flesh because they mm. link pleasure to it. So look at the best coaches in the world and ask yourself, what do they say? What do they think? What do they believe? And you decide to do the same. Beautiful. Can I just say one more thing, actually? Oh, sure. Really the end yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're talking about the running, for instance, 
you got to focus on how it makes you feel. And often when you start to run, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And then afterwards, it makes you feel euphoric. But your feelings are the most real thing you have. And if you want to coach yourself, go to your feelings. Look at what you're feeling. And, and we're, we're taught in the Western world something terrible, which is whatever you're feeling, eat that feeling. Shop that feeling. Netflix that feeling. Push that feeling away and go and do something. Anything not to feel. But when you push your feelings away, they regroup and they come back stronger and you push them back again. And the best thing you can do as a coach and as a self-coach is to really listen to your feelings because your feelings are like a classroom of children going, hey, here I am, notice me. And if you don't, they just become louder. So listen to your real feeling and then decide your feelings are the most real thing you have. But your feelings are yours to change. And when you change them, you change everything. Beautiful. Thank you. Wasn't that an absolutely amazing conversation? I know it was because when I first was a part of the conversation, my mind was blown. And I'm sure your mind is blown right now. And you're going, oh my God, I can see everything that's happening around me. I can now experience why something happens for me and why is it happening and what am I doing to actually incite it and what are some of those beliefs that I need to rework so I can not have that challenge anymore in my life. So go ahead, use these techniques and see how you can transform your life by coaching yourself. Like I was talking about at the top of the episode, we are giving away some amazing, amazing prizes for you to subscribe to the podcast put in a review, put in a rating to this podcast. So go ahead, if you haven't done that yet, go ahead and do that so you can get a chance to win an iPhone, some of our courses, or some of our amazing books, which have been bestsellers and highly rated by students who have read them. So go ahead, hit the subscribe button, go ahead, leave us a review, leave us a rating so we can enter you into the Evercoach giveaway. Now, here's the link that you want to remember for you to get more details about the giveaway. It is evercoach.com slash giveaway evercoach.com slash giveaway. You go there, you get all the details listed on one page. You see how you increase your chances to win more in this giveaway. This is Ajit Navlaka. You're listening to the Evercoach podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. I am your host, Ajit Navlaka, and every week on the Evercoach podcast, I will bring the world's best thinkers, coaches, trainers, to share some of their best ideas to solve real client problems, live a prosperous life, and be an even better version of ourselves.